0: Welcome to The Bloody Bible, the podcast where we explore why our fascination with
1: crime is as old as the Bible itself. I'm Em. And I'm Kaz. And today we'll be looking at a really well-known biblical story from the book of Genesis, the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. I feel like I know
0: this text relatively well. It's one of those stories that lots of us just kind of grow up knowing. It's a real Sunday school classic. Yeah, yeah. It's a really intriguing story but I always feel it leaves us with more questions than answers.
1: Yes, it, it's the Bible's first murder mystery, and it really is a mystery because the story has so many ambiguities and unanswered questions woven throughout it. You know, we're told that Cain murders his brother, but it's not too clear why he does that or how he does it. Hmm. So essentially the means and the motive of this crime are left a little bit obscure. Now, the official name for Cain's crime is fratricide which is the murder of a brother or the commissioning of a brother's murder. Interesting. Do you know if there's a
0: similar term for the murder of
1: a sister? Yes, I do. It's called um, sororicide. Mm. But I find both these words quite hard to say. They're kind of tongue twisters, aren't they? So I'm just going to refer to sibling murders from here on in. OK, sounds good. Okay. <laughs> so sibling murders overall are quite rare compared to other forms of homicide but sibling rivalry and sibling murders are really common themes in mythology and also popular culture. So just to offer a few examples, there's the Roman myth of twins Romulus and Remus, there's Shakespeare's Hamlet, there's Game of Thrones, and quite a few movies too include sibling murders, such as Godfather 2 and The Lion King, which I know that you're a big fan of him.
0: I am. (laughs) Scar killing Mufasa in The Lion King was a pretty devastating moment for me as a 10-year-old. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, it so happens that a week after The Lion King was released in 1994, that we here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, had one of our most notorious family murders, where the Bain family was murdered. So Robin and Margaret Bain and three of their children, Arua, Laniette, and Stephen, were found to have died from gunshot wounds in their family home. Yeah, I think I remember hearing about that at the time. Yeah, it was it was really horrific. Yeah. And their fourth child, David, was initially found guilty of their murders and, and actually went to prison. Mm. But after 14 years he was acquitted after a second trial And during both trials the prosecution presented his motives as financial He wanted to gain his inheritance Which, incidentally, is the same reason
1: that Scar killed Mufasa Oh, now that's a very uncanny coincidence, isn't it? It is Hmm, okay (laughs) Well, I've also come across a few other true stories of sibling murders And I'll mention them along the way as we talk about Cain and Abel So let's take a deep dive into Genesis 4 to see if we can unravel some of its mysteries. Cain and Abel are the sons of Adam and Eve, born after God kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden when they ate the forbidden fruit. Now Cain is the older of the two brothers, and both he and Abel have different occupations. Cain is an agriculturalist, a tiller of the ground, and Abel is a shepherd. And that's really all we're told about their characters and their relationship. So we don't have much to go on when we start trying to work out how and why things ended in murder. Yeah, the text is really sparse on all those details, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you get very, very little. Now, near the start of their story, there's a defining moment that really shapes how things progress. So let me read it out. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, bought the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So God likes Abel's offering, and he likes Abel, but he's not so keen on Cain or his offering. And this raises a big question. Why? Why did God seem to favour one brother over the other here? It just feels really important that we know this information, because surely it would help us understand Cain's reaction. So I, I'm I'm not sure what's happening. What do you think? Why do you think God favors Abel here? Em? Yeah, I mean this is such a crucial piece of the puzzle, and the
0: biblical text is infuriatingly silent on this question. Mm, yeah, maybe God just doesn't
1: like fruit. Maybe that's it. Maybe maybe God was in the mood for a juicy leg of lamb for dinner, <laughs> and he looked at these bruised apples Cain had brought along and just felt very let down. <laughs> I don't know, but um. Other explanations could be that Cain did something before or during the offering that displeased God. Or maybe he made his offering grudgingly while Abel offered his with a more generous heart. Or perhaps Cain's offering was substandard in some way and and not as good as Abel's. Um, We're told Abel offered God, and this is a quote, the firstling of his flock and also their fat portions, which does sound like the best bits. Yeah, But Cain offered the fruit of the ground, which to me sounds like windfall rather than, say, the pick of the crop.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I guess ultimately
0: all we can do is speculate on the reasons for this because the text certainly isn't going to give us any answers, right? No. No. But maybe the reason just isn't that important. I mean, God makes a choice and decides which offering is preferred on the day. Maybe the more important issue is how Cain chooses to respond to the decision.
1: Yeah, yeah, you might be right. So let's read on and see what Cain does next. So verse 5 ends with the news that because God didn't like his offering, Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now, unlike modern crime stories, where we often get a good insight into the inner workings and motives of a killer, the reasons for Cain's anger isn't clear. We're not sure if he's angry with God or with Abel or with both of them. And so again, we have to fill in the gaps. So what do you think might be going on in Cain's mind here? Um,
0: Yeah, I wonder if what we're seeing here could be part of a more long-standing pattern of the brother's relationship? Mm. This is just an idea, but what if Abel is always being favoured by God or by their parents? What if Cain is sick and tired of always being second best and of Abel always being seen as the golden boy in his parents' eyes and in God's eyes?
1: Yeah, I mean, I could see that being a really strong motive for Kane's anger. It it actually reminds me of a real life murder case that happened back in 1985, and coincidentally, this murder also happened on a farm. So we've got an agricultural connection with Cain and Abel. Um, have you heard of Jeremy Bamber and what's often referred to as the White House Farm murders? So I was very young in 1985
0: and hadn't developed an interest in all things murder mystery at this point in my life. I forget
1: that you're so much younger than (laughs) me. (laughs) I actually I haven't heard of the White House Farm murders, so tell me about it. So it's actually a bit like the English equivalent of the Bain family murders, although unlike David Bain, Jeremy Bamber remains in prison today. He's serving a full life sentence for the murder of his parents, Neville and June Bamber, his sister Sheila Caffell and Sheila's six-year-old twin sons, Daniel and Nicholas. Oh, that's awful. That's so sad. Yeah, it's a really tragic story. The murders took place at Jeremy's parents' home, White House Farm, in Essex, England. And the scene at the farmhouse initially looked as though Sheila had shot and killed her children and her parents and then taken her own life. But after the police investigated, Jeremy Bamber was charged and convicted of their murders, although he's always maintained his innocence, even to this day.
0: Wow. Yeah, I can really see the similarities between those murders and and the Bain family murders. Yeah. yeah. Really, really tragic.
1: Mm -hmm. So if Jeremy did kill his family, what was the motive? Well, the motive the prosecution put forward was greed. Jeremy's parents were wealthy, and after they died, he inherited everything. Mm. Now, apparently, Jeremy didn't get on that well with his parents. He resented having to work on their farm for what he considered to be pretty low wages. So the argument was that he killed them to get his inheritance. Which is another similarity to the Bain family murders, where the prosecution argued that David killed his family for his inheritance as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Another interesting part of the story is that apparently his parents had bought his sister a flat in London a few years prior to their murder. Sheila suffered from quite a severe mental illness so her parents were trying really hard to support her as best they could and according to one of the workers at White House Farm he'd heard Jeremy say at one point I'm not going to share my money with my sister referring to his future inheritance. So He seemed to want his parents' money, and perhaps he felt resentful that Sheila was getting favoured over him, or he thought in his mind that she was getting favoured over him. You know, she'd got the London flat, she didn't have to work on the farm. So I wonder, and this is just me speculating, but I, I wonder if that might have been a motive behind these murders? Yeah, that's really interesting and also quite disturbing. Mm. But if we reflect that back onto Cain,
0: I wonder if he resented that Abel seemed to be God's favourite. Did Cain want God's favour all to himself? I mean, did he resent that he was slogging away growing fruit and not being appreciated for it, while Abel swanned around with his sheep getting all the accolades?
1: Yeah, yeah, and as you said earlier, you know, maybe God's favouritism had been going on for a while, rather than just being limited to this one episode we're told about. You know, I was reading an article uh, recently about sibling murders and I'll link to it in the show notes. But apparently people who kill a brother or sister can have long-standing rivalries and conflicts with their victims. Oh. So perhaps Cain and Abel had been rivals for a while and God's rejection of Cain's offering was just like the final straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. So what I find interesting is that there seem to be
0: a lot of emotions at play here, which are just so relatable. Cain might be feeling angry and frustrated and jealous. I mean, maybe he's just sick of what he sees as his brother always being favored over him, always being better in God's eyes.
1: Mm.
0: So I'm the oldest of four siblings, and these dynamics are just so familiar. (laughs) Now, I don't condone what Cain did in response to these emotions, but I can totally understand why he might have been feeling this way.
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of us could relate to Cain at this stage in the story. We, we won't hold it against him that he gets angry because he feels he's being treated unfairly. No. And especially if he doesn't understand why God favours his brother over him, that could be increasing his sense of frustration. But we can come back to Cain's possible motives a bit later too. Let's see what happens next in the story though. So God obviously notices Cain throwing some serious shade and he says to him, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you can master it. Mm. Now, I find God's words here really interesting. God doesn't mention Abel. He doesn't explain why he favoured Abel's sacrifice. He's focusing solely on Cain and Cain's reaction to the situation. And to me, it sounds like a bit of a pep talk. You know, pull yourself together, Cain. Get over it. You need to move on. So, in other words, suck it up. Yes, exactly. And, you know, God's warning Cain that if he doesn't let it go, then things probably aren't going to end well. He needs to let go of his anger. He can still choose to walk away from it and things will be okay. But if he doesn't, if he holds on to that anger, then it's going to lead him down a very dark path. Again, this is so
0: relatable. (laughs) I feel like I have this conversation with my kids every day. You know, you have a choice. Anger doesn't have to be the end of it. You can still walk away without
1: doing any harm. Mm, I can just hear you saying that to your kids, (laughs) Sam. I think, I think what God says to Cain here really speaks to the power of emotions such as jealousy, sibling rivalry, disappointment, shame and how these are often the driving force behind violence. But there's that moment, and I think we see it in modern stories of murders too, you know, when someone is just on the point of doing something really, really bad and you think, if only you had stopped and stepped back and walked away from the situation Because so often perpetrators of violence are faced with a choice. They could step back from their emotions and choose not to lash out. And obviously not always, because sometimes violence happens in the heat of the moment or in self-defense. But I think that what God is saying to Cain here is that he has a choice. It's not too late to walk away. And I feel that God seems to recognize there's something really a ugly going on in kane's head that could end up leading kane to do something absolutely awful so he's trying to get kane to make the right choice and to let these emotions go
0: yeah but there are so many contemporary stories of crime when the murderer obviously doesn't make the right choice right they don't walk away they lash out
1: This Cain and Abel story actually made me think about another contemporary case. Have you heard of Amy Bishop? Yes. Now, her name is familiar, but remind me of what she did. Yeah. So in February 2010, Amy Bishop was working as a biology professor at the University of Alabama. The previous year, she'd been denied tenure. So this was going to be her final semester at the university. They They were letting her go. During a faculty meeting, she took out a gun and shot six of her colleagues. Gosh. She killed three of them, Gopi Podila, Maria Raglan davis and Adriel Johnson. And she also wounded three others, Louis Rogelio Cruzvira, Joseph Leahy, and Stephanie Monticciolo. She'd also aimed a gun at her friend and colleague Deborah Moriarty, but fortunately for Deborah, the gun jammed just at that moment.
0: Goodness, that's absolutely horrific. Yeah, absolutely yeah. horrific. And a little close to the bone for some of us who work in academia. Yes, absolutely. Why do you think she did it?
1: Well, Amy had taken her failure to get tenure really personally. She was very angry and upset about it. And, and so that's what's believed to have led her to do this shooting spree at the faculty meeting. So do you think she just kind of snapped? I'm not sure, but if we look back through Amy's life, there's a bit of a pattern of her responding with violence whenever she feels she's been badly treated or disrespected by others. So, for example, um, eight years previously in 2002, she went with her family to a local restaurant and asked the staff for a booster seat for one of her children. The staff member told her that the last booster seat had just been given to another customer. So Amy had a meltdown she walked over to the woman, the customer who had the booster seat, screamed and swore at her and actually punched her in the head. Oh, wow. And yeah, and, and one of the things that she apparently kept screaming at this woman was, I'm Professor Amy Bishop. Oh, goodness. That really
0: sounds like she has a completely overblown sense of her own entitlement, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, do, don't you know who I am? Yeah. It, it's It's very bizarre. But that's not all em because in 1986 when amy was 21 years old she actually shot and killed her 18 year old brother seth what yes
0: okay and and actually this is just an aside but seth is the name of kane's younger
1: brother who was born after abel's death hey that's quite a spooky coincidence right that that is a very spooky coincidence it hadn't occurred to me before but yeah anyway amy wasn't charged at the time for seth's murder she shot him with her father's gun but claimed it was an accident and the police didn't pursue it further for for various reasons but there have been suspicions raised throughout the years that it could have been deliberate. Do we know if she had any motive to kill him? Not, not for certain, no. I mean, some people have speculated that Amy was jealous of Seth because he was really smart, he was popular, he made friends easily, and he was a very talented musician. Now, Amy was really intelligent and talented too, but she wasn't quite as popular or as well-liked as Seth. So some people think that maybe she felt her younger brother was taking the limelight from her or perhaps she resented the fact that he seemed to be the family favorite. Mm, that reminds me of what we've already
0: talked about with Cain and Abel the older sibling resenting that they're not the favored one.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you know looking at her history of of violence I did have another idea about why Amy might have killed her brother other than sibling rivalry. And this is just me speculating here. But if you look at all of Amy's acts of violence, there seems to be a bit of a pattern emerging. The people she harms aren't necessarily the ones who have disrespected her or or done her wrong. The woman she attacked in the restaurant was just a customer. She she hadn't deliberately deprived Amy of the last booster seat. And the people Amy shot at the University of Alabama weren't all responsible for her not getting tenure. Mm. Now, if you think about Seth, Apparently, Amy had had a family argument earlier on the day she shot him. But the argument wasn't with Seth, it was with her father. So could it be the case that whenever she felt slighted or unjustly treated, she lashed out at whoever happened to be around her? Or did she look for an easier target? Yeah. Rather than attacking all the restaurant staff or all the university tenure committee or her father... Did she pick on someone else, someone less intimidating, perhaps, or less imposing? Did she choose them to take her anger out on? I mean, I don't know. And as I say, I'm just speculating here. But it's interesting that she doesn't always direct her rage at the people who have caused her to feel
0: that rage. That's such an interesting theory and actually works with the information we have about that case. Mm. So do you think that Kane might have done something similar? The person he's really angry with, the person he feels slighted by, could be God, because God rejected him and his offering. Mm. But Cain doesn't feel like he can attack God, so he takes out his humiliated fury on a far more accessible victim, his younger brother, Abel.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one way of looking at things, to be sure, and, and one way to understand what Cain's motives might have been. And the other thing about the Amy Bishop story that reminds me of Cain was that Amy Bishop's father-in-law was quoted as saying that when Amy got angry with someone, she looked as though she had, in his words, the devil in her eyes. And it made me think of Cain's face falling yeah. and God noticing something really bad going on in his mind. Yeah, because God
0: warns Cain that sin is, quote, lurking at the door. Imagery's so evocative. It's as though sin is a dangerous creature who's creeping closer and closer to Cain, kind of planting the seeds of violence in his mind. Yeah. And maybe God sees that process going on in Cain's face, so he warns him not to let it keep going any further.
1: Yeah, it's like he sees something in his eyes. But despite God's warning, does Cain listen? He does not. No, he doesn't. In verse 8, we read, Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, And killed him. Now, what's interesting about this verse is that it mentions twice that Abel is Cain's brother. And we already know this, so that it's almost as though there's no real need to include it in the verse. But I think the repetition here really emphasizes the relationship between the murderer and his victim. And it makes the violence seem so much more terrible. You know, Cain didn't just kill a stranger, he killed his brother. There's an, an intimacy there, right? Yes, absolutely. So
0: Cain speaks to Abel before they go out into the field. But do we know what he says? No,
1: that's another mystery. And I really wish we knew. Did Cain threaten Abel? Did he challenge him to a fight? Or did he try and lure him outside in some way? You know, he might have said, Hey Abel, it's a lovely evening, let's go for a walk. Or Abel, I think one of your lambs is sick. You'd better come outside to take a look. Ooh, if he lured him
0: outside, that kind of feels worse in a way, hey? It's it's so sneaky and suggests Cain's murder was somehow premeditated, doesn't it?
1: Yes, it really does. So Cain kills his brother, but another mystery about this story is that we don't know how he killed him. Although we soon learn, unfortunately, that it was bloody. We don't know for sure it was a premeditated murder. We don't know if the brothers argued first or started fighting and things got out of hand. Although I did read that a lot of sibling murders take place during the course of an argument. Hmm. But here in Genesis 4, none of that is made clear.
0: Yeah, it is it is so frustrating. I, I need to know the details. I need to know what, what was going on between the brothers before the murder took place. Did Abel suspect Cain was up to something? Did he realise his brother was so angry? Did he try to defend himself against Cain's attack? Or did Cain take him by surprise? It's so hard to investigate this crime without knowing these crucial facts. Yeah,
1: I know. Come on, we need the details. <laughs> so so let's read on. Let's see what happens next. God quickly finds out about the murder. And he starts off by asking Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain responded, I do not know am I my brother's keeper? So I see two interesting things going on here. First of all, and this is just a technical note, what did Cain do with Abel's body? Yeah. Because it, it just, I just want to know, it, sound, it feels important to me. Did he leave it in the field? Did he bury it? We're just not told. The other thing that really interests me is about Cain's famous question, am I my brother's keeper? Is that a rhetorical question? Or does he really not know? Does he really not understand that he has a duty of care to his brother? Is he asking God, oh, was I meant to look after my brother? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, before he asks the
0: question, he lies, doesn't he? Mm, That's true. God asks, where is your brother? And Cain says, I don't know. But he clearly does. Mm. So it makes me think that he's being a bit shady here, trying to play the innocent.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. I think that's a good point. But I did have another idea. Maybe Cain is saying to God, "I'm not my brother's keeper." You know, in other words, he's saying something like, "You're his keeper, God. Why didn't you protect him? Why did you let me kill him?" Ha. Huh. Okay, that's really interesting, and I hadn't
0: thought of it like that. But however you interpret Cain's words here, they
1: just sounds so cold and indifferent. Yeah, yeah, they really, really do. But God is not taken in for a second and he says to Cain, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. So God solved this murder case in record time. <laughs> God is the first private detective and he's very, very good at his job. <laughs>
0: I always find this verse so evocative in Gothic, the way that Abel's blood has a voice that can kind of cry out from the ground, even though Abel himself is dead and, and clearly has no voice of his own, but the blood is crying out to God in
1: particular as though it's demanding justice for Abel. yeah, I agree with you, it's, it is a really Gothic image, and an interesting little fact I discovered is the Hebrew word for crying that appears in this text is often used to depict. The Cry of Innocent Victims and the Oppressed. Ah, interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, it reminded me in a strange way of these crime fiction and true crime stories about how important forensics is um, in the search to find justice for victims. Um, We see that a lot in TV forensic dramas such as CSI and Bones and Silent Witness. Uh, They all portray how victims' bodies and their bloods and their bones can still testify to the violence that's been done to them and also point a finger at the person who's ended their life. Yeah, that's that's really true. I'm also fascinated by the
0: connection that we see in Genesis 4 between violence to humanity and violence to the land. This is something I think we find throughout the biblical text, that that human violence impacts, tangibly impacts the land. And Cain, we know, has this intimate relationship to the land. He's a farmer. But through this murder, it's as though he's disconnected from the land. It's almost as if the land turns against him. And I think God confirms this in the next two verses when he says to Cain, and I'm quoting here, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength, and you will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth.
1: Mm, That's quite a striking image, isn't it? It really is.
0: Yeah. And there's a quote from biblical scholar Mari Yostad who says, and I'm using her words here, the ground swallows Abel's life and by doing so lends voice to Abel. It's as if Abel and the ground have become one being. The ground opens its mouth and takes Abel's blood, and Abel in response uses the mouth of the ground to cry out to God.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. It, it's almost as though our behaviour impacts the earth, and so it holds us to account. Yes. The earth is involved in the whole justice process. Totally. And we could argue that Cain's punishment is really apt because he misused the land to kill his brother, so it's going to turn its back on him entirely. Now, do you think this punishment is just, um, or do you think that God has been too lenient here? Ah, Kaz,
0: I'm so bad with these questions. I find it really hard to judge when I feel like we don't know the whole story. Mm. But I do think the story is an interesting reflection of the way that the consequences of criminal behavior kind of ripple out and have a lasting impact beyond that fateful encounter between the victim and the perpetrator. Mm. But certainly the text tells us that Cain feels his punishment is too harsh and that he's been treated
1: unfairly. Yes, yeah, he's not too happy and this is what he says to God. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and anyone who meets me may kill me. Now, I read these words as Cain doing a bit of a poor me act here rather than showing any remorse for what he's done it's very much about me 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 Mm. he seems to be lamenting his exile his loss of his relationship to the land and the fact that he'll be distanced from God and might end up in danger himself there's nothing to make me think that he feels bad about what he did to Abel his words just come across as very self-centered and selfish I don't know what you think. Yeah,
0: yeah, he's really centering himself here, isn't he? His fear of being killed is also somewhat ironic. I mean, for me, that phrase shows Kane's complete lack of empathy. He can't seem to comprehend that his current fear of being killed is probably the exact same fear that Abel experienced in his final moments. And and yet this heightened awareness of his own vulnerability doesn't seem to elicit any sense of remorse or regret from Cain. He's, as you say, he's very much focused on his own loss and suffering.
1: Yeah, I agree, yeah. So God's response to Cain's objections is quite interesting. And this is what God says. Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And so the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which literally means the land of wandering, east of Eden. So I often wonder why God decides to offer Cain some form of protection. Does he want to give Cain the chance of redemption? Or does God want Cain to serve as a living warning to others about the terrible repercussions of committing violence? And I'm also baffled by what this mark was that God put
0: on Cain. Do you have any idea about that, Kaz? I've always been so frustrated that the text doesn't
1: actually explain what that is in any depth. Yeah, it's it's yet another mystery that's left ambiguous in this story. I don't have an answer. I don't know the answer. But I do know that the Hebrew word, which is ot, literally means sign. Mm. So some suggestions, and many of these are from early rabbinic Jewish interpreters, include uh, this the mark might be a skin condition or a horn on his head Mm. and this is my favorite interpretation the mark was a dog that god gave cain to protect him which i like i like that idea yeah that's beautiful cain could learn a lot i think from from a dog yeah sort of patience and empathy and care and compassion but whatever this mark was it needed to be visible and to offer Cain protection from anyone planning to kill him. What particularly
0: interests me here is the idea that God protects Cain in an attempt to stop his violence from spiraling out of control. Mm. Maybe God wants to offer Cain a way out or the chance to make different choices in the future. I have a friend who works with perpetrators of violent crime and he talks about the cycle of violence metaphorically as a dance where all the steps are known off by heart. There's the action and then the violent reaction performed over and over again and continuing the spiral without end. And he says one way out is to offer a new or different step in that dance which breaks that well-worn and violent routine. And this new step offers a new way to engage or a new way to be in that dance. So maybe God's offering a new step here. I hadn't really actually thought about it in those terms before now, but
1: but maybe. Oh, I I really love that idea. I love that metaphor of dance steps and that thought of God teaching Cain new dance steps feels more like an attempt at rehabilitation rather than just a punishment. Yeah, it's it's offering a way to prevent future violence, not not just to punish Cain for what he's done. But unfortunately, if that's what God had in mind, it doesn't work. Mm. Because if we read to the end of chapter four, it doesn't look as though Cain's learned any new dance steps. Instead, it seems he's taught his descendants his old dance of sort of violence and action and violent reaction. Yeah. In verses 23 to 24, we read about Lamech, who is Cain's, I think it's his great, great, great grandson. Lots of greats. Lots of greats. And Lamech is speaking to his wife and he tells her, or sort of boasts to her, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech 77 fold. So Lamech seems to be reenacting Cain's desire for vengeance, but to an even greater extent. And his violence is worse in a way. And it makes me think of the initial act of Abel's murder. It's almost been like a pebble thrown into a pond. It, it makes ripples that cross so many generations. And the story seems to be telling us that violence begets violence it snowballs, it gets more brutal, it gets less justifiable, and it impacts both families and entire communities. The dance remains unchanged, as it were.
0: I think this story asks us to, or even offers us the opportunity to, reflect on cycles of violence, which are all too common in family systems and social systems, right down to the present day, hey... I'm not sure that this text gives us any easy answers to the ongoing spiral of violence, but at least it asks us to name it and confront it, both in the biblical literature, but also in our own communities. And perhaps from there, we can begin to conceive of ways out, ways to break the violent cycles.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: But Kaz, what does the story tell us more generally about murder and why people kill those they know and are expected to love and care for?
1: I think stories like this drive home just how powerful our human emotions are. Emotions like humiliation, rejection, frustration, disappointment, and especially anger. Yeah. And it warns us that we really need to keep them in check or they could lead us to do some terrible things, including to people that we love. Yeah. And the other thing I take away from this story or I learned from this story is that we all have to remember we are our brothers and sisters keepers. Violence only leads to families and communities being broken to the extent that they can never be the same again. So what about you, Em? What do you take away from this story or what have you learned from it?
0: I mean, I think we need to keep the victim at the centre of their story and always try to make their voices heard even after their death. In this story, we learn more about Cain than about Abel. And I think that's tragic. Yes, it is. Yeah. But it is something that
1: happens so often, even in our own times, as as we've said. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, when I was researching the Amy Bishop murder, I looked at so many news reports that spoke a lot about her, but didn't always or didn't often actually name the people she killed and wounded. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting and something that reflects what you've just said about keeping the victim at the centre of their story. So that is the tale of Cain and Abel. And I think it was a really fascinating story and lots of resonances with stories of murder and violence that we still hear about today. But before we go, shall we share with the listeners what we are reading and listening to at the moment? Okay, Well, I want to return to the
0: Bain family murders, which we've briefly mentioned already. But I want to recommend a podcast called Black Hands, which explores the case from start to finish and examines the evidence, uh, the mysteries, the motives and asks who committed this crime.
1: Yeah, I I love Black Hands. And I think the podcast um, is very astute in its conclusions about this case. Mm, Agreed. What about you, Kaz? Well, I've been listening to one of my very favourite true crime podcasts, and it is called Generation Y, hosted by the fabulous Justin and Aaron. And it's actually one of the first true crime podcasts I ever listened to. So I'm blaming them for why I became obsessed with true crime. (laughs) But they've recently done an episode on the Amy Bishop case, and they've also covered the Bain family murders, too. So you'll definitely need to check that out. They, they do a fabulous job of both. I think mean, every, every one of their podcast episodes is really, really great. And I'll put a link to some of their episodes in our show notes and recommend that you have a listen. Well, thank you for
0: listening to this episode of The Bloody Bible. You'll find our show notes on the website, along with the links to our social media accounts. But until next time, see you later.
1: See you. Bye.
2: The Bloody Bible podcast is supported by funding from the United Kingdom Arts and Humanities Research Council as part of the Shiloh Project Research Grant. Special thanks to Professor Johanna Stiebert at the University of Leeds, who commissioned us to create this podcast. The podcast is produced by Carolyn Blythe, Emily Colgan, and me, Richard Bonifant, who also recorded and edited each episode whilst apologising profusely on behalf of all men music for this podcast is called Stalker and is by Alexis Ortiz-Sofield, courtesy of Pixabay Music, and the podcast artwork was created by Sarah Lee West. Links to all of our social media, including our website, can be found in the notes for each episode. Thanks for listening.